did the European Union come from an accidental involvement in some sort of sudden epidemic like AIDS mm -hmm. to a permanent institutionalized um, disease control dispositive? Uh, with the main assumption that AIDS delivered the metrics, the, 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 the lessons for uh, what became later on uh, these communicable disease control in, in Europe. And the main argument is that it explains the whole story, in my opinion, the timing of the policy, the content of the policy, and this, uh, this uh, road from uh, an accidental uh, involvement to a permanent institutionalized involvement. I will, in the end, explain it by European integration. So and I noticed what gave me the idea that there might be a road going from one to the other is that there are quite a lot of structural similarities between AIDS management and, and all you needed to do to keep the epidemic under control and the more general uh, communicable disease control business. And also that in these public health management, this new type of public health management, um, the way it's done, it corresponds somehow to the way Europe is developing in general. It corresponds a little bit to what um, to the characteristics of Europeanization as a soft policy way. So this is what the whole thing is based on. Now the plan is very simple. Um, I, I gave it here because what I put here has changed a bit from my paper. I will first give a few useful concepts which I found uh, around the literature and my, my literature review. And then I will tell you something about the age challenge, uh, the particular difficulties there were in this case, and how it was resolved at national levels. And it was, as I look over the policy timing, only afterwards that the, the European Union could involve into real policy action. So as if it could not take it up before because it was too conflictual. And you will see that the European action is in two steps, a very, uh, very uh, tiny beginning with research, bio, biomedical research, and only much later came into policy developments. And um, it is based on three, this European involvement in AIDS, and it's based on three types of actions, networking, we heard this the whole day, I think that's a very important result of our work, this very outstanding importance of networking, data harmonization, connecting data systems, this is what, what the new institute does and um, cross-border public health management. And the last thing is about all the crisis which helped this to get off the ground, but this is a part which is not yet completely written. So um, useful concepts in political science. So I went through a literature review about Europeanization, about the few people who wrote on health policy or on public health policy in the European Union, and I found as useful concepts which we can uh, reuse here uh, the problem of uh, the what's in the literature. They tell you first it's a complex sector because there's a mix of competence, uh, national and European Union competency, and um, I think was Wolf Wolfram Lamping uh, termed it a compound of national and European competency, compound meaning it was absolutely uh, obliged to be linked and it leaves some space for negotiation from case to case, so a compound was the basic idea. 
Then we have spillovers, uninvited in uh, Europeanization, like Scott, who brought this out. And um, I think we can find traces again in our subject for this. Um, in the edited book I, I wrote on all the different subjects of health policy in Europe, I came out with, I tried to explain the very chaotic picture in saying it was uh, necessarily a patchwork because the uh, policy is issue-driven, it is trans-sectoral, and the action, the European action in these different uh, issues or sectors is unequal, and the whole thing is based on networking. So that gave, this explains somehow the very chaotic picture, which has the logic. What else did I find interesting? Yeah, um, general work on Europeanization, uh, all the work on soft Europeanization, uh, especially the definition of uh, Radaeli would <coughs> help us. He says, he defines it by horizontal structures like, net like networking and persuasion. Uh, you have to persuade uh, people that your idea is the best and uh, pass it on. And it's uh, opposed then to top-down uh, hierarchical Europeanization. Um, a French author was called um, Sébastien Guignier, he came up with working on the lines of uh, Radelli with um, cognitive Europeanization, that means based on ideas, on the diffusion of ideas, and he distinguished two uh, different types of cognitive Europeanization, rational one, saying that was persuasion, because it can be very, very uh, much imposed to you. You had sometimes interest to be persuaded. And the constructive, uh, yeah, benchmaking, benchmaking, uh, benchmarking uh, uh, comes into that category. So when you're under benchmarking, you have interest of, of, of conforming your, yourself to what they want to, to persuade you of. And another cognitive type, which would be much more democratic, which he calls constructive, um, which is based on simply information and uh, the interiorization of the values which are transmitted with the um, information. So I think these all can help us. And then of course I noted in the paper, when I was paper reading from the, for the conference, in, um, in uh, Scott's paper, the power uh, creation uh, in, uh, in networking and data provision. So that, I think, is also a, a powerful concept to help us along. And the very first AIDS article on uh, European AIDS policies was written by Christa Altenstetter. She came up with a, a revision of all the concepts and decided what we could use is advocacy coalition issue networks and epistemic communities. Uh, she also marked that um, what she observed in the early AIDS policy in Europe was completely different from all that we could expect from the Europeanization literature and from uh, uh, national model building and so on. So uh, she brought it down to these three concepts. And these are the concepts that could help us. Uh, the, 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 concept, the consensus in the literature I found was uh, can be summarized like this. European public health policy, it does exist, people agree now, it, will gr it is growing and it will continue to grow and it's a cognitive process and it's based on networking and um, data collection. So this is what we have um, 
what I have collected in, in reading. Now, to give you a sort of summary of what the paper really uh, wants to say, it says that the European Union engaged into AIDS policy uh, rather late, in the early 90s, that was much later than other international levels, and national levels, of course. It was, first of all, research subject. AIDS entered European policies by research agendas. Um, the real policy was worked out on national levels, as I said already, and it came up to the union level once the main controversies were sorted out. Mm. And that really is the second condition, once the east border was open in Europe, because that was really a big public health risk and a big political, well, let's say, crisis. So there was policy politics. <coughs> And that was needed to get it off the ground. <coughs> so the question is then, what does the AIDS challenge uh, give us as lessons, which then later could be treated at European level? Well, very rapid review, because most people will know this, or at least those who are a little bit older who live through the story. Um, what, what was there to do once the AIDS arrived? Well, first of all, organized research, fundamental research, clinical research, but also, also social science research, and particularly epidemiology. That was not a very easy issue, especially that it needed to be transnational, international right from the beginning. As we, the second big issue was, as we had no medication, not sufficient enough, we needed prevention, but this prevention was social measures. <coughs> it was aimed to change behavior and behind the, all the controversy of what does public policy do with private life issues and so on. We had to collect data on this uh, new epidemic. Uh, there were problems then of what type of reporting was needed, compulsory or voluntary, about questions about confidenti confidentiality rules. Um, should a big issue was should the legislation that every country had on infectious disease, on epidemics, or on sexually transmittable infection be applied to AIDS or not? After a lot of fighting, the answer was no, because it was thought that it would shy AIDS carriers away from public institutions from care, and uh, they may then not collaborate with the preventive uh, <coughs> measures. So once we had the test, the question was how to use it, compulsorily test whole groups or the whole population or only individuals who consent to it. What should we do with the blood donors? All these were very, very uh, um, conflictual issues in different countries. And of course, how to treat the intravenous drug users? Should methadone or clean, need clean needles be provided or rather have a policy for abstinence? All this seems to us very evident today, because we have the solutions since about 20 years, but it was not at all evident when it all happened during the 80s. And this struggling was lasting from practically 84 <coughs> to the early 90s, 92, 93, most <coughs> So the solutions that were taken finally, the response to all these questions, at least in Europe and also in America, was an educational approach based on participation of the uh, people concerned in policy making. And <coughs> campaigns should be uh, delivered to the 
general public to change attitudes against uh, towards the epidemic for uh, not not discriminate against the AIDS carriers and targeted campaigns to really change behavior of certain risk groups. So all, when all this came up, it was an ill-structured problem. There's a definition in political sciences. It's from Simons in 70, uh, <coughs> 73. It's a problem which doesn't fit into the established institutions to solve it. So it's an structured problem. But it was then, this is what I wanted to show you with all these uh, details, all these details. This ill-structured problem was sort of normalized and, and mainstreamed at nation, national levels. And of course, there, are, there were country differences. They are still, especially between the north and the south of Europe and later on with the east. But um, in the early 19s, we had sort of the solution. We knew how to treat AIDS as a policy issue. And that period, coincides with uh, the uptaking uh, of the issue at European Union level. So if I go back to what uh, Pista Eidelstetter wrote in, his, in her very early article, 94 it was, she gives us the very uh, beginning of the history and practically in this, uh, we, can, we can make an abstract and say it was first um, research, but biomedical research but uh, there are different programs in Europe for biomedical research which existed before AIDS run through the period and then they were renewed, the later <coughs> ones were called Biomed 1 and then Biomed 2. But it was still in these programs a little, a little later in the early 19s when we started to have these huge inquiries on sexual behavior in Europe, comparative in all countries. And that was really a big advance because, because Europe didn't have anything on, on, on this line. So, uh, she also distinguished three, three types of networks who were collaborating or trying to collaborate at European level. That was one, the European Union Macro Policy Network, closed, composed of union people and national government officials. Nobody could enter this network, and they were doing you know, policy reflection and so on, and mainly working about how to find the research money. Uh, a network of researchers, so that was really researchers, doctors, medical experts, and one she called community-based networks. These are these non-governmental aids organizations. And she says um, that the European Union was the last international level to give them legitimacy <coughs> in the policy. So they, had, they were already networking around Europe, but they didn't really have an entrance in European um, Union levels. They got a little bit of sponsoring sometimes, but very, very few. So all this changed, <coughs> all this changed in the early 80s. But what happened in the early 80s, well you knew that there was the Maastricht Treaty in 1993, which gave the European Union a, a mandate for public health. But it was also, it was the very first years of the opening of the Eastern border. And we discovered then the health situation in uh, not only in Russia, but also in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, in, in the Baltic Republics, and so on. We discovered the enormous outbreak of AIDS. I remember I heard field, field evidence. I, I, I went to these countries in those days, and 
they counted something like eight or nine AIDS cases in, in 91 or two in, in I don't know, I can't remember which places I came put up in my paperwork at home. And a year later, you came back to the same type of congresses, and they had found 700, 800 cases. It was absolutely tremendous. And then they discovered the big uh, drug abuse um, AIDS epidemic. So there was really a big shock at the eastern border of the European Union. To sum it all up, we can say we just go through the posters. Uh, then I took the the, um, the newer evidence. What happened then in the European Union? And you can summarize it under three headings: networking, um, the data collection and harmonization, which leads finally to the center, and cross-border health management. So I try to do it in five minutes. Uh, networking was. Um, fostered from the moment onwards when, uh, from after the Maastricht Treaty, and very heavily fostered. And it was really the Western AIDS organizations who were used to create, develop, and help the Eastern ones. And the content of their policy, if you look around what they did, is fostering tolerance for minorities, fostering civil participation in public policy, and uh, watching human rights respect and from the later 80s onwards, access to the very new multi-therapy treatment, especially in these poorer Eastern countries. So that's the content, contest, uh, the content of the policy which was exported by all these networkers towards the East. And if you put it all together, tolerance, participation, human rights, access, and upgrading the healthcare system, because you needed this tool in order to give the environment to AIDS policy, then you really have the exportation of the Western model of fighting AIDS and the new public health management, as we called it, to the East. Now, data collection was the empirical or the very practical part of all this. Networking was developed mainly to find the data, mainly apart from these policy messages. It was used to get uh, information, to collect the data, to set up data systems in these countries. Now, the first data system on AIDS was built up in Paris from 84 onwards with uh, World Health Organization funding, co-funding and collaboration. Covered 11 countries when it started and about 53 in 2006, just before it went up into really into the European Union higher spheres. Uh, it was AIDS-based. It was counting diagnosed AIDS cases. And it was in the later 80s, when we, after we had this very efficient medicine, that it was uh, transformed progressively into a HIV infection uh, reporting system. And that was not without conflict. Many uh, countries uh, had difficulties with this. Uh, there was a lot of contest in France. Uh, even today, Spain and Italy do not uh, do HIV reporting or do not report completely for certain regions. And the whole East and also southern parts of Europe do heavily underreport because simply they don't test it enough and they don't find the cases. So all this system was transformed from AIDS to HIV reporting, to, uh, uh, and it was transformed, trans uh, transferred to southern aid to the European Centre of Communicable Disease Control. And then the big effort that followed was harmonizing the data collection practice. The categories of statistics, because they were not always the same, especially what concerns drug abuse and uh, how you count uh, what people, what is drug abuse and how do you count the different diseases they may transmit from 
one to the other. Uh, I want just to recall that there is a center in Lisbon monitoring all about all what concerns drug abuse, and they look after this for AIDS too. So they did a lot of work of harmonizing statistics. And I will write my paper, I will give an example of how we counted death people from drug abuse in Europe. But totally completely different categories, and it's this center who Europeanized it, and now it's sort of comparable data. Um, so the main, the main step in, in, in data collection harmonization was to, to, to break the political taboo of counting hip cases and make it acceptable in the whole of Europe and standardize the ways to collect and do it. And networks came to help to do this. <laughs> a last word on cross-border health management. So it all resulted from the war, fall of the Berlin War because we had immediately, especially toward Germany, migration from the east to the west, uh, huge uh, cross-border problems of prostitution. And all this was connected with AIDS, of course, in those years. <coughs> and, and we had to manage this uh, drug abuse problem, which was very important in Poland and in a few other countries along the border. So the policy instruments then were, again, what the European Union did to manage all these things. It introduced, apart from networking and data systems, it introduced um, AIDS policies and all its other policies. So there's a big AIDS part in the South Northern Health Network, which we already talked about, the South one, the Northern one, and the new Central European one too. But also, and that I found very interesting, Europe has a policy of neighborhood with, all, with Russia and the Mediterranean countries. And there is <coughs> the main, the main, one of the main issues of this neighborhood policy is AIDS. And um, so they, uh, they try to set up statistics also in these neighboring countries with European help, um, improve the situation of AIDS carriers with uh, respect of minorities and, and, and improve uh, elements of the healthcare system. So when you put all this together, and that will be the end, <laughs> we finish, you really have, I have the feeling you have the exportation of the European model of democracy, which includes AIDS protection as a very important point, social security, towards the east and the neighboring countries. That means also the Arabic Mediterranean Sea. And there are all these networkers who watch it and report on uh, non-respect of this and that. And in, uh, in order to get, to get it off the ground, I think, uh, to come back to the lit literature of cognitive Europeanization, alone would not have made it. We needed input from politics, and that was this, this crisis, public health crisis but also political crisis. I think without this, it would not be ha happen. So if I, um, if I stop here, and I, I would say uh, the, the reason of all this policy, the, the powerful input comes from the uh, from European integration. There's a policy of European integration. It cannot be done without a, a public health policy based on community disease. Prevention started with AIDS, AIDS gave the lessons, and it was extended to the rest. And this is a model we are ex uh, exporting. And that is also exporting Western European democracy to the East. And I think that's a real issue. Without this European integration idea and this uh, policy transfer about democracy, uh, real democracy, we would not probably not, the European Union would maybe not be invested so much in, in, in a 
people, disease prevention and, and, and data systems. 